Father, thank you so much for this morning. What a a pleasure it is, Lord, to be with the family of God, to sing your praises, to enjoy your presence, to have other believers around us, to enjoy their singing as well. And Lord, together we we love you. We thank you for all you've done for us. We pray you'd open our hearts and minds to receive from your word today. Continue to guide us, to speak to us, and to enable us, Lord, to walk with you. We give this time into your hands, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, no football this weekend. So uh, since uh, it's Valentine's Day, or almost, a wife I heard about had a dream and so she woke up her husband and said, I, I dreamed that you gave me a Daimler necklace on Valentine's Day. What do you think that dream means? And her husband said, well, hmm, he said, uh, you'll find out tonight. So all day she was excited and couldn't wait for him to get home. And so that night he walked in the door and he came home with a little box wrapped real nice. And he said, here, this is for you. And so she ripped into it, tore it open. And inside it was a little book with the title, the meaning of dreams. (laughs) A guy I heard about was walking on the beach and kicked a bottle and uh, picked it up and rubbed it and a genie came out. So you know that's a true story. (laughs) And uh, the genie said, I'll give you three wishes. So he said, okay. He said, uh, my first wish is I want a million dollars. And so poof, the genie gave him a million dollars. And his second wish, he said, I... I want a Corvette. So poof, a Corvette showed up. And then he paused for a moment and he thought and he said, well, he said, for my last wish, I want to be irresistible to women. So the genie went poof and turned him into a box of chocolates. (laughs) That was way funnier in my head than you let on. I just want you to know that. That has nothing to do with the Bible study this morning, let me just say. Life has seasons and transitions. Oh, that word has kind of got soiled lately, so I'll call it graduations. All of them are part of God's plan, part of our journey. All of them are necessary. All of them are unavoidable. And all of them are healthy for us. For example, you know, going from a teenager to adult. Man, that was a wake-up call for me, as I remember. I couldn't wait to graduate high school, and then I discovered you have to get a job. And you have to work almost every day. And stuff is not free anymore. And you have to pay bills and wash your own clothes. And as a guy, I discovered that if you want friends and even girls to like you, you have to use deodorant and Tic Tacs. I mean, it was a real adjustment. Another transition was getting married. Now, that was the best decision I ever made. Lots of benefits came from that. I'm a different man because I got married, but I did encounter a few surprises. For example, all the time we dated, I would say, well, what do you want to do and where do you want to go? And she would say, bat those big eyes and say, wherever you want to go, let's go there, you know. All of a sudden, she's got opinions. Where did these come from? (laughs) And the bathroom was affected. Uh, It looked different. I had less time available to me. There were hidden costs I weren't expecting. For example, candles had to be bought and curtains, and then we had to go shopping. Never forget one shopping trip. We went out looking for something. I think it was pants for her. We went into a store, and we tried on all kinds of things. And after being there for the better part of an hour, she said, well, there's nothing here. And I said, 
in the whole store? I mean, you, I couldn't believe it. So I, I had to learn very quickly, guys learn this, that when you go to the mall with your wife, you learn to eat your way through the mall. That's really all I do anymore is just follow her around and eat my way through the mall. Another transition was, a big one, was becoming a parent. That was huge for me. Uh, birth is science fiction, one human being coming out of another one. That was not right, in my opinion. And then when the babies show up, they cry for no reason. There are new smells to deal, deal with. There's the lack of sleep. And then when they get older, they push every button you have, and it's almost like they live to embarrass you in public. It just kind of goes with the territory. But I want you to know I love being a parent. We had four kids, and now I have 13 grandchildren and 2.5 great-grandchildren. And I'm so proud of all of them and what they're becoming. In fact, they've taught me more about the love of God than any book ever has. But the greatest adjustment, I think, in life, it has been for me, was receiving Christ as my Savior. I mean, that is a whole new life. To be forgiven, to have a new definitions for life, to have a new value system. I look at the world differently. I look at culture differently. I look at politics differently. There was much I had to learn and a lot to unlearn as well. And then a step further for me personally was when God called me into the ministry to be a pastor. Never expected that. But it's been an honor to be able to serve the Lord. And that calling has taken me places I never thought would be possible. I have been places, I have seen things. I've been in almost 30 countries uh, in terms of missions trips and other journeys as well. Really, it's been an incredible life. And it just reminds me that Jesus is the greatest adventure in life, to know him, uh, to be loved by him, and he has reinvented my life and continued to bless me. And still, the greatest things are ahead of us. We've got heaven, a new heaven, and a new earth, and an incredible future. Well, the Bible is actually full of transitions, and I'm not going to sing the circle of life, although that, <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that song. There is a natural progression that goes from one generation to the next. Uh, for example, David, as a young shepherd, became a king in his adult life. Gideon was a coward who became a warrior and then later a governor. The disciples were just followers of Jesus, and later they became apostles and turned the world upside down. Paul's a great example. He was a persecutor. For a season of his life, he was the church's worst nightmare. And yet he became a believer, became an apostle, and then became the church's greatest preacher. And then later himself passed the baton to Timothy and Silas and Luke and a host of other young men who carried the work of God into the future. Well, one of the most famous transitions in the Bible is here in Joshua 13, as Joshua passes the baton, if you will, to the next generation. And so for a few minutes this morning, I thought we would step in his sandals and see what we can glean from here. Let me read to you Joshua 13, 1. It says, Now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old. Ow, that had to hurt. Advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. So God speaks to Joshua, and he says, dude, you're old. And when God says you're old, boy, you, you're old. I'm just saying, you know. Talk about being brutally honest. The Bible's always this way. And uh, God says to Joshua, okay, time for a transition. By the way, how, how old was Joshua? 
103 years old at this point. Now, by the way, getting old happens before you know it. It sneaks up on you. Uh, I looked in the mirror, and you realize you're not a kid anymore. In my head, though, I still am barely out of high school, and uh, I blinked, and turns out I'm actually not. Uh, You know you're old when lying about your age is easier because you often forget what your age is. You know you're old when you look in the mirror and say, Dad, is that you? (laughs) Or you actually begin to look like your driver's license picture. Oh, that's depressing, isn't it? Or you know you're old when it takes longer to recover from having a good time than it actually took to have the good time. Well, at this point, Joshua is old, 103 years old, and he begins to embrace a new season. Now, remember, it was Joshua who led Israel into the promised land. Moses took them out of Egypt and took them to the edge, but it was Joshua who took them in, and under Joshua's leadership, they conquered the land. He divided the land and then conquered it, and then led them in three major war campaigns to gain control of the promised land. Here in chapter 13, though, he begins to assign the territory and the lots, if you will, to each of the 12 tribes, and then the next generation will pick up the conquest, they'll finish the conquest, and settle the area and the land in Israel. Now, the rest of the book of Joshua is that. It's the Joshua signing the areas, the boundaries, and the battles that they would face. It's really the story of the next generation as each tribe fought the remaining enemies in their area. But for Joshua, it meant a new season, a new role in Israel. Now remember, he began as a slave. He was born in Egypt, not in the promised land. Uh, He began his ministry, if you will, as Moses' assistant. So his job for a long time was just being at Moses' right hand, being a gopher for Moses. He then became the soldier, the general of the military of Israel. He swung a sword on a battlefield for many years and had great victories, not only before they got out of the promised land, but certainly once they did. But here in Joshua 13, he lays down his sword because, and he becomes now sort of the administrator of the kingdom and oversees the distribution of the land for the new generation so that they can move into their territories and take possession of it. So for Joshua, he leaves the rigors of the battlefield. He slows down and begins to handle people and property and practical issues. Now, it's still a spiritual calling. It's still the eternal work of God, but it becomes at this point very practical in terms of his life and ministry. And this is true of us, too. The Christian life is a combination of spirit-filled living and, you know, engaging in the battles and serving the Lord, but it's also a very daily, basic handling of duties and responsibilities that are part of life. Now, one of the benefits of studying Joshua's life is you can see clearly in his life that life has seasons. So his life began in Egypt, where he was born and, and grew up and was a slave, He then, uh, when uh, Moses made his way down to Egypt, was witness to Moses coming and then announcing God was going to deliver them. He watched all the plagues be poured out on Egypt. He was there when they left Egypt and saw the Red Sea part and then was there for the entire wilderness journey as they made their way to the edge of the promised land. 
Joshua was a soldier as well. And then in his final season, he was an administrator. So in the big picture of Joshua's life, there were parts that were exciting and there were parts that really, really weren't, not very exciting. There were parts when he was in front and doing ministry and battle, if you will, in front of the people. And then there was a season of his life where he did it behind the scenes where he was not so seen. But all of it was part of God's plan for Joshua's life. It's also true of Moses. He also had definite seasons, three 40-year periods. His first season was the ruler, a ruler in Egypt before he was a believer, if you will. He was in the, you know, Pharaoh's house and all that. He led military battles for Egypt. Then he ends up being discovered after murdering the Egyptian, forced into the wilderness. He goes to the backside of the desert where he's an absolute nobody. The most exciting thing he sees in that season of his life is a bush that's burning. And there he hears the call of God, and then he goes back and spends a season of 40 years delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt and then takes them on their wilderness journey to the edge of the promised land. I look at my own life. Maybe you can say the same thing. I got saved in 1978. I spent four years uh, at Calvary Chapel El Cajon as a youth pastor and then assistant pastor. Then we left for the East Coast and spent 15 years there where we planted a Calvary Chapel and spun a couple other ones off while we were back there, a season on the East Coast. And then in 1998, we returned to San Diego and joined the staff at Maranatha Chapel where I spent 12 years assisting Ray Bentley and the church there, missions pastor, and did a lot of traveling then. And then eventually, uh, we landed here in Santee about almost 14 years ago uh, and became the pastor of this church, you know, the center of the known world. <laughs> so life has seasons. So Joshua, at this point, he retires from the front lines, partly because he was old, but mostly because it was time for the next generation to take the lead and to step themselves out into the front lines and assume leadership. You see the same thing in David. He, when he got older, he went through the same transition. In 2 Samuel 21, there's the record of him still as an older king out on the battlefield, still swinging a sword, and a giant encountered him, a guy named Isbi Binov. Who would do that to their son? But a big uh, Philistine giant, uh, and so he was too much for David. David's still an incredible man, but not, not able on the battlefield any longer to swing the sword or to personally fight the giants, if you will. And so Abishai, his general, stepped in and rescued David, and, uh, and at that point they said to David, it's, you're, you're done on the battlefield. You're too valuable to the kingdom. You need to step back and let the younger men go onto the battlefield. And you, your value now is to administer and oversee the kingdom. So Joshua was facing a very similar moment. Now, verse 1 tells us God said, not only are you old and advanced in years, but he reminds him that there remains very much land yet to be possessed. So God says to him essentially two things. There's still a lot to do. Joshua, you're not done. Uh, you're just changing roles. And by the way, you know, he's older, advanced in years. Our society has a tough time with older people and growing old and, and with the elderly. This generation, our culture is in a desperate fight to stay young, uh, to postpone old age and death uh, any way they can. 
And the reality is old people or older people remind them that they're not going to win. <laughs> and, and, and so they try to push that out of their way. But here we're reminded biblically that older saints play a vital role in oversight and practical help in administrating the kingdom. And they are essential to God's work and to the big picture of what God is going to do. So Joshua, you're not done. And there's still much land to possess. Now by chapter 12, they had won the major wars and controlled the land of Israel, if you will. But there were still enemies left all around. In the edges and in the, in the corners and the valleys and the nooks and crannies, if you will, of the promised land. There were still a lot of things to finish. And God said there's still a lot of land that needs to be conquered. So Joshua spends the next 10 or so years organizing the tribes into their new territories and then helping them, encouraging them, mentoring them, if you will, to be able to serve the Lord and finish the conquest of Israel. Just like us. It's the same thing. Jesus, our Joshua, has conquered sin for us. Our salvation is secure. We don't fight for salvation. That's a free gift. But there's still work for us to do. There are still enemies that we need to conquer. There are still rough edges and nooks and crannies and corners of our lives that where territory needs to be taken. We all have spiritual territory that needs to be possessed. Strongholds of sin and habits that don't belong. We still have gifts we need to embrace. We need to finish what God has called us to with the promise and the confidence that whatever God starts, he always completes in us. That's what Paul said in Philippians 1.6. So if you're an older believer, and it's funny how that term older has changed over the years in my thinking, let me remind you that your job is not done. There are still hills to climb. There are still giants and things to battle. There are still things to, to conquer, if you will. And, and the truth is, when you get older, some of life's most difficult challenges come in the older season of life. Just reality. So Joshua here, at 103, he stays involved. I like that. He's still serving. He's still leading. And in some ways, I think it kept him young. Uh, but when you're at that point in your life, you understand that life is a struggle. I put the quote up on the screen there. Tozer said, life is not a playground. It is a battlefield. And, and if you don't believe that, if you don't embrace that, then you're going to be severely confused and you're not going to accomplish all that God wants you to. Sad to say, there are some, as they get older, they withdraw from God's call upon their life, and they end up and they fall into the pit of uselessness and self-pity. And can I say, that is a miserable place to be. It's true. Yes, God does call us to, at times to leave the front lines and stop swinging swords, as it were, and that our role has to change but here's the bad news. Your enemies never retire. The enemy will never give up on trying to ruin your life or your testimony. So just in a practical sense, yes, you know, all of us at some point retire from jobs and congratulation if that's where you are and good for you, enjoy your retirement. But don't stop serving. Uh, don't stop setting an example and don't stop empowering the next generation. In fact, that is the pattern in the Bible. I put the verse up there on the screen for you. This is Numbers chapters, chapter 8, verses 23 to 26. It says, and this was God's plan for the Levites. 
It said the Levites from 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and at age 50 years, they must cease performing the work of the tabernacle and shall work no more. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to needs, but they themselves, at 50 is the idea, shall do no work. So God's plan for the Levites was that they would embrace and step up into ministry as a young man uh, at age 20, but over 30 years, at the end of 30 years, they would then, at age 50, their role would change. And, and by the way, the work of the tabernacle, ultimately the temple, was actually pretty physically demanding work. I mean, the tabernacle had to be maintained. It had to be carried and set up and torn down, especially in the wilderness wandering. And then there were literally some feast days where there were thousands of animals that had to be sacrificed and butchered, if you will, uh, as part of the feast days. So it was a very physically demanding ministry, if you will, not just spiritual in its uh, orientation. So at age 50, then, they were to step back and let the younger guys do all the physical work, but they were to continue to minister. The Greek or Hebrew word means to assist or mentor or support or help. As an older believer, they were to provide wisdom and experience and prayer and encouragement. By the way, this is the only verse in the Bible that actually speaks to the issue of retirement. Really, retirement, retirement for all is heaven. That's retirement for all of us. So it's not the American version of retirement, at least biblically speaking, you know, where you stop and, you know, go on vacation every day of the, of the year. I'm just kidding, obviously. But, you know, move to Arizona or Florida. Some people do that. And sadly, some people, when they retire, they fade from involvement in the family of God. Look, the biblical pattern is this. You don't retire into inactivity, but rather you're repurposed, if you will, into a new role that helps and supports and guides and helps the next generation receive and walk and operate in their calling. All right, so you say to me, Pastor Gary, that's great information, interesting, very encouraging. Where are you going with all that? Well, uh, Joshua provides an important example on life and on passing the baton to the next generation, which leads me to this announcement. After 42 years of ministry as a pastor, it is time for me to slow down and graduate and adjust my role at Calvary Chapel of Santee. This summer, uh, I will retire from the position of senior pastor and will be repurposed to a part-time position as an administrative pastor. Now, the board and the leaders and I have been preparing for this for actually uh, a long time. You may have noticed I've been giving the pulpit and opportunities to some of the young guys uh, to not only lead but also teach and preach and all that. And so over a season or two, we have done a very slow and careful and purposeful seeking of the Lord for, uh, on your behalf for the, the family here at Calvary Chapel. And it probably will come as no surprise that we believe that Pastor James Class is God's choice to be the new senior pastor and shepherd of Calvary Chapel of Santee. I agree. Now, can I just say I am so ready to slow down 
And we believe, I believe, that James is so ready to step up and lead our church into the, into the future. Now, in light of that, a couple of clarifying statements so that we know what we're doing here. Number one, my wife and I are not going anywhere. Calvary Chapel is our home. We're going to stay here until the Lord comes. Uh, this is my church <laughs> and my family and all of that, so we're staying so my goal uh, into, the, into the future is to enjoy your friendship, uh, to laugh with you, to cry with you if necessary, to eat your food if you invite me over for dinner. I will come to encourage your children. I love your teenagers, by the way, to stay involved and to do life with you until the Lord comes. And part of my new role will be to focus on holding James's arms up and encouraging him the same way he has held my arms up and encouraged me, but to focus on some of the administration of the church, but also to focus on mentoring and discipling and teaching some of the young men in our midst. So I've got some big plans for you young guys. Let me know. I'll let you guys want to know that. I want also for you to know that my wife is also going to be slowing down. Now, she's going to be still involved in the women's ministry, still teaching as she does, but believe me, we are raising up the young ladies to do the very same thing, to carry the ministry into the future, and we're so proud of the people that God is surrounding her with. So we're staying. We're not going anywhere. Secondly, we love the next generation. You know, Pastor Chuck hammered and instilled that into us. In fact, we're part of a movement that is exactly that. Pastor Chuck was an older pastor uh, who believed in the next generation. He took risks. Mike McIntosh, Greg Laurie, all those guys, they were young guys that grew up under his ministry, and he got behind them, he encouraged them, he launched them, and the movement of Calvary Chapel, more than a thousand churches large, is a direct result of a man who believed in the next generation. So I want to play my part and help the next generation too. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians, he talked about life and ministry like a relay race. He said that we all have our event to run. But I think the picture he was painting was that we all have a, uh, we're all part of a relay race. That you run your, your leg of the race and then it's your job not only to receive the baton when you run your race, but also to pass it successfully to the next runner. I am the fourth pastor of Calvary Chapel of Santee. There are three guys that pastored this church over some 30-some years uh, before me, and that will make James the fifth pastor of Calvary Chapel of Santee into the future. And this is God's order. It's God's pattern. It's healthy. It's not the end of anything. It's the beginning of the next chapter for Calvary Chapel. And I personally believe that the best days of this church are still yet ahead of us. James is wise, he's loving, he's gifted, and I want you to know that when he teaches the Bible, I get fed. Now, I've taught the Bible three times now. I've been through the entire Bible three times, so I've pretty much preached or taught every passage in the Bible a couple of times. But when I hear him teach, I want you to know... <laughs> Oftentimes, I just go, wow, I, I never saw that before. Or, boy, did I get that one wrong. I go, holy smokes, you know what I mean? And I, I'm often taken back at the giftedness and the, and the ability he has to not only bring insight, but to teach the word with authority. I get fed when he speaks. 
He has vision. He has energy. He has passion. He loves God. He loves the word of God, and he loves you. And that's a guy I can get behind. So next week, James is going to share his heart with you, some of his vision for the church as we look forward. I think it's important that you be here next Sunday, even though it's Super Bowl Sunday. You can make the guacamole after church. And then this summer, probably July, will be the actual transition where I'll give him the keys to the bus or the boat or whatever it is we're actually in here this morning. But until then, things are going to remain as they always have, and we'll keep doing what we've been doing. A couple of final thoughts. Thank you. It's been my privilege to serve as the pastor of this church. It's been an adventure. I'm so blessed. I've lived a dream. I got to teach the Bible for 42 years. And you guys paid me to do it. I don't know if you knew that or not, but you did. (laughs) Appreciate that. But it's been my joy to serve you as your senior pastor. And whatever you've gained here at Calvary Chapel, whoever God's blessed you by coming here, believe me, I got a hundredfold back. It has been a two-way street. I'm so grateful for the men that God has surrounded me with. I have an incredible board who are wise and gifted and who love you and have really helped me personally and you collectively. I am surrounded by a a gifted and loving, goofy staff. I I love the people that God's put with me and, and all of you who serve here In many ways, you are the hardest working group of people I have ever worked with. So I thank you for serving with me. And the best part is, there's still a bunch of years ahead of us that we'll share together here at Calvary Chapel with my wife and I staying. One last thing. We still have a lot to do. And let me just say, if you're young, and again, that word keeps changing for me. But let me just encourage you, it's your turn your turn to lead. God has something for you to do. If you're wondering if life is just a, is just a, you know, a bunch of work and, you know, providing for your needs and hopefully saving for the future and taking care of business on a personal level, you're wrong. God has something more for you than just that, existing and surviving He has something he wants you to do and to accomplish and for you to play a role in his work. So it's your turn. And secondly, if you're my age, which means if you can still fog a mirror, (laughs) that there are still things for you to do too. You have a role to play in the church that's vital and important. And the best years for Calvary Chapel of Santee are still ahead of us. So my encouragement for all of us is... Let's be about our Father's business. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning, for these precious people, for this season of life, and for all the joy and the tears that we have shared. Thank you for what you have done and for what you have planned for us. 
We pray your blessing on the next handful of months as we begin to finish the process. Pray your blessing on Pastor James as he steps into a role that we believe he is called to, chosen for, and anointed to do. Pray your blessing on every person here as they figure out themselves personally what their role is and what role they need to play in the greater work of God. But thank you for loving us. Thank you for using us. Thank you for letting us be a part of building your kingdom here on earth until Jesus comes. And thank you for the rich relationships you get in the process, for the friendships that we get to enjoy. Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray.